Bloody Good Film Podcast! Hello and welcome to a podcast about the only two genres of film that matter. Action and horror. I'm your host, Jesse. With me as always, my Muay Thai guy, Josh. This is the Bloody Good Film Podcast. And today we are on back at it again, talking another franchise deep dive. Last time we did Sleepaway Camp, we did the horror. This time we figured we'd mix it up. Martial arts this time, Tony Jaw. We're talking about the Ong Bak trilogy. Before we go into Ong Bak, and listeners, we actually kind of went over this a little bit a couple days back, but luckily we're drunk enough that we don't remember what either of us said about it. We talked about the Mortal Kombat trailer that came out last week for us, probably like four weeks ago for you, and I was bashing it left and right. Everything that he said sounded horrible. I'm retracting everything I said about the upcoming Mortal Kombat movie, except for the Cole issues. Nobody gives a shit about Cole. That was a bad idea. But fucking Sub-Zero stabbing a guy in the back, letting the blood come out, freezing the blood, stabbing the guy with the blood, which is just fucking excessive. It's what you want in a Mortal Kombat movie. There's no reason why you couldn't have just stabbed him again with a knife, but he had to go out of his way to freeze the blood and stab him again. It's perfect. It's exactly what I want to see. Well, and he starts the trailer off by freezing Jax's arm and then just ripping an arm out. Like, that is everything Sub-Zero should be. Did you know, was there an origin to Jax's arms in the video game? I haven't dived that deep. Like, I've done, like, Wikipedia deep dives, but I haven't beaten most of the games. So, as far as I know, I'm sure there is a backstory, but I don't remember it ever being explained. I don't remember Sub-Zero being the one that did it, but I could be completely wrong on that. So it could have been just a guy that happened to have, like, roboed up arms for no reason. Like, doesn't want anybody bringing it up. He hates when people stare at him. And then uh, he just happens to be a really good fighter, too. I always just assumed, like, he lost them in the war. Like, he had sense. his arms, and he was doing army things and lost his arms, and that was the only way they could save him. That's how he I always army things? It. He definitely wasn't in the Marines. He was 100% army. He was 100% army. I wonder if they take him into Navy SEALs. Like, he has no, like breaststroke now and he'd rust i wonder where he'd go he can't be in the air force he's too heavy well that's just rude you don't say that about a man so everything is great like the whole trailer is awesome the last 45 seconds are just quick clips of different fatalities kano's a good guy which seems somewhat problematic i assume he's gonna go bad at some point I mean, they call him a warrior. No, I watched the trailer a few times, and I didn't see fully good guy. He's a warrior of Earth, but they don't really sell him as a good guy. They might sell him as on the team, and then they're like, oh, they'll discover he's an asshole. He was just hanging out with all the other good guys. Well, and Cole. He's hanging out with all the other Earth heroes, all the other Earth fighters. He's not necessarily a good guy. He, he just hasn't realized that, hey, I'm supposed to be kicking these guys in the balls. And he's actually Australian this time around, which is pretty cool. I didn't know the other guy was an Australian. I had uh, one of my Aussie friends pointed it out to me. Like, I thought he was Australian. What the hell was he? 
I believe he was British. Isn't that the same thing? It's close enough. I know certain parts of England and the Australian accent, at least to us Americans, sound exactly the same. Like I, I'm so bad with accents, I can't tell the difference unless they're talking about tea or kangaroos. Other than that, I'm like fucking clueless. The trailer showed everybody. Like you got Sub Zero, you got the classic "Get Over Here" from Scorpion, which sounded a little lame. I'm not gonna lie; it's kind of disappointing. Not as good as the first guy. No, but it does sound more realistic. I don't think he's dead yet. I think that's why it is. I think in the sequel, he's going to be like full-on skeleton, cursed demon, scorpion. Maybe he'll get a little bit more vibrato in his voice when he says it. And then we got Melina. We got Sandra. Or Sam, what the fuck her name? Sonya Sandra. Blade. Sandra Blade. We got Sandra Blade. <laughs> I, like, I, I don't know these names as well. But I don't remember Sandra. Sandra sounds like the secretary. Like Shah Khan is like, Sandra, write down these names. These people are coming here. We got Goro. Who is, honestly, the only disappointing part in the trailer for me is Goro's look. It's really bad CG. I, I know it's got a little bit of weeks. I'm hoping it's just like the trailer look and maybe he looks way better in the movie. But I'll take original Mortal Kombat Goro over what I saw in this trailer. Yeah, he did look a little wonky. He looked perfect for the video game. He just didn't look good for a live action movie. <laughs> Hopefully it's something they clean up. My biggest problem with the trailer, obviously, no Katana. And Katana's the best Mortal Kombat character. I'm, I'm a Raiden fan. I, I always go for Raiden. And they did do a decent job. I can let go of Christopher Lambert and, and go for a different interpretation. It does make more sense to have an Asian actor playing Raiden. And, you know, just quick glance. I mean, we'll go back into it when the movie actually comes out. But from a trailer standpoint, all the characters seem to match about what they should look like or what I would want them to look like if they're going after the source material. Yeah, except for Cole. And honestly, just ditch Cole, get a Johnny Cage. I'm still bothered that there's no Johnny Cage. It still looks like a cool movie. I'm still sold on it. It's definitely between that and King Kong versus Godzilla that I'm most amped about right now. Just give me Johnny Cage, or at least they gotta tease him at the end, like have some sunglasses fall on the ground or something. Yeah, there's no way that you can redo a Mortal Kombat movie without having Johnny Cage in some capacity. I'm hoping that it's just under wraps and Scott Atkins is just going to come out of nowhere and just be the full on Johnny Cage. That would be perfect, especially since Johnny Cage was originally based on Jean-Claude Van Damme and Scott Atkins is basically the fill in for Jean-Claude Van Damme. If you need a new Universal Soldier, you go to Scott Atkins. You need a new hard target, you go to Scott Atkins. He's doing the sequels for uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's movies. He's filling in pretty damn well. That would have been my choice for Johnny Cage. And honestly, Jax, I was a little upset at first when I found out it wasn't Michael Jai White. But the actor that plays Jax, whose name escapes me right now, seems to do a pretty good job. And we see him get his arms ripped off right off the kick-go. And it seems to be uh, seems to be good. I'm hoping it's a good fit. I mean, as long as he's a good fighter, I, I can let it go. Maybe they wanted somebody younger than Michael Jai White. Because despite the fact that he's in great shape, he is like 50-something, I think. And there are a lot of like martial artists. And anytime you do a movie like this and you see a lot of just actors, it's always a little weary that it's just going to be poorly done martial arts. Well, that's what you got with Bridget Wilson in the original one. Although I think Cameron Diaz was originally going to do the part and Cameron Diaz got all the training and then she dropped out and Bridget Wilson just like jumped in in the last second. So that's why she had one fight scene against Kano and it was kind of whatever, except for Kano got the kind of death that I always wanted where the woman just like squeezes her uh, legs around your neck and snaps. Like when I'm 80, that's what I'm hoping for. (laughs) That's the way you want to go. Yeah, I mean, I want a long life, but like, give me a last request and just do that for me. (laughs) 
I, I mean, I guess. Uh, let's end this conversation where the trailer ended. What a great ending line by Kano in the trailer. Just Kano wins as he's holding the still beating heart. Everything Mortal Kombat that I want in the movie. I'm so excited for this movie. Yeah, like anything I said last week, completely wrong. It's why I know we usually don't go over news and trailers on the, on the double feature week, but I felt like this was important enough to like break that rule. Well, and it goes perfectly because we're talking martial arts. I wish Tony Jaw could have been a character in Mortal Kombat because I feel like he would have been amazing. Do they have any characters from Thailand in, in Mortal Kombat, though? Like it's, I thought it was like a Chinese kind of thing. It definitely is. And there's no character that just throws flying knees and spinning elbows quite like Tony Jaw does. But he's just such a good martial artist that I want to throw him in any movie with martial arts that I can. All right. Uh, just curious. Uh, we never really go over this, but we are a, a drinking podcast. We don't do like pairing up our drinks and shit with what we're watching. We don't make horror shots like another podcast. I know, but we generally record drinking. What do you have on you tonight? I'm taking a trip down a golden road. I have a Huckleberry Haze IPA. I don't really know what a Huckleberry is, but it is delicious. I think I only know the name because of Mark Twain, but I have no idea what an actual Huckleberry is, and I figure that uh. That beer has less racism than the Mark Twain book. I'm starting out with some tequila and Diet 7-Up. And then I got actually two beers because I bought two packs because I figured I'd run out. And I got like a Hazy Wonder from Lagunitas and a Fresh Haze from Deschutes. Way to go Diet 7-Up though. Quarantine's around, gyms are closed. You got to make sure you don't get that quarantine body, the Diet 7-Up. I mean, I actually like the diet shit better. I, I, I didn't even like the mixed drinks until recently. The girl I'm talking to, she got me into drink combos, and now I'm drinking them every weekend and getting, like, pretty damn wasted. It's basically uh, every drunk, stupid thing that I've said on the podcast is because of her. Because I'm definitely getting drunk and stupid on this podcast most times. So at least now we know who to blame indirectly. Oh, yeah. I've listened back on some of these, and I have said some pretty damn stupid things that I'm like, I, I'm surprised Jesse let that go by in the edit, but uh, it's authentic. Like, my friends tell me, like, nine out of ten times, I'm a fun drunk. Most of my friends I've made while I was drunk. And then every ten episodes, you're going to get that one time where I say something completely stupid that I wish I had never said. It's going to be authentic, drunk experience that you guys can be listening in on. And I'm going to say something pretty fucking stupid. And feel free to call me out on it. Listeners, not you, Jesse. I don't want to be called out to my face. <laughs> I try to let as much go as I can. There's some stuff that gets laid on the cutting room floor that I go, there's no way I'm sending that to Spotify. <laughs> well, like, I know the first episode I was talking about taking a piss for like 10 minutes and you had to take all that out. It's been a fun 10 episodes, and I'm glad that we're on to the 11th. We didn't make much ceremony of it uh, on the 10th for some reason. I had actually kind of lost track of where we were at. I should have started numbering these things because we do them so far ahead of time that I couldn't even remember how many that we had done. But uh, 10 episodes, I think, is a pretty good deal. I didn't think that we'd make it that far. No, I thought we'd make it to one episode, and then I would edit it and just be so sick of doing it already that we'd be done. But here we are, 10 episodes later. It's definitely a learning curve. We're definitely saying some stupid shit, but it's getting a little bit easier. And I'm, I'm like getting reinvigorated on movies again. Because like, honestly, there was a couple of years where I'd switched over more to like comics and graphic novels and, and movies got laid back in like the background. But uh, I, I'm enjoying it again. I'm still pushing uh, comic books into the podcast as much as you'll let me, but it's definitely a movie podcast. 
And it's fun because we're getting a chance to go back and watch some of these movies that we talked about when we worked together, what, almost 10 years ago, it feels like. And movies that I recommended you or you recommended me or that we saw together and that I haven't really watched since. So I love kind of taking a trip down memory lane for some of these films and getting to talk about them again. Actually, these ones are a perfect example. I had seen The Protector in theaters, but you're the one that, uh, I think you lent me the Ong Bak movies. So you're the one that got me into these. I bought them, but I, ha- I haven't watched them since we uh, worked at Sports Authority, which is probably like six, seven years ago now. So it's been a while since I revisited them. And I don't know why I waited so long. It's, I think it's about time we dive into the movies. I'll get the synopsis for the first Ong Bak coming up now. When the head of the statue of Ong Bak is stolen, Tony Ja won't let any ting stand in his way to get it back. How proud are you of that pun? It was right there in front of you. For people that don't get it, I guess you weren't watching along, but Tony Ja's name in this movie is Ting. Which is the dumbest fucking name ever. But the, like, I'm going to be nitpicking this movie, but I, I love it. Just know it's easier for me to say negativity, probably because of the way I was raised. I'm going to be nitpicking. I'm going to say some bad things about the movie, but I absolutely love this movie. Just don't take it to heart. This movie's great. Tony Jaw is great. You mentioned The Protector, which I'm assuming we're going to do at some point. Well, I haven't seen the second one yet, so we got to do a double feature on that one. Well, there you go. Double feature. But The Protector 1 and 2 and then the Ong Bak trilogy are great martial arts films. Tony Jaw is a magician. Do you know anything about martial arts or are you like me where you're coming in like, that looks cool? I don't know anything about martial arts. I always thought, honestly, as a kid, that it was lame that the kids would go with their karate geese and would go do taekwondo and stuff like that. But then Halloween would roll around and I would always want to be a ninja. So I've always liked martial arts and I've always followed martial arts, but to say I know anything about martial arts would be a blatant lie. I mean, I think it's the kids that came to school and would talk about how their hands were now registered lethal weapons and they couldn't fight in any school fights. They ruined martial arts for everybody. They kind of ruined the image of it. But after I got older, it took me till after high school to really dig into martial arts and I fucking love it now. But, uh... Muay Thai, because of this movie, I assume all that it is is knees and elbows the entire time because that's all Tony Jaw does is knees and elbows to people's faces. It's fucking beautiful. So that I actually do know, not because I'm a martial arts fan, but because I watch a lot of MMA. I mean, my wife watch a lot of UFC. Muay Thai is huge in MMA because of the knees and the elbows and the different clinches and stuff like that. So yes, it is very knee-elbow derivative, not a lot of straight punches or kicks, which is why some of these movies are so much fun, because they're different than what we get with a lot of other traditional martial arts movies. They're not the typical, you know, Bruce Lee type, Ip Man type, Donnie Yen type of things. It's not stuff that we see a lot of, because a lot of the moves are so different and so unique to that style that he brings. It's much more aggressive, like you mentioned the Ip Man movies. I'm trying to pronounce it the way the Chinese people do. It's not Ip, it's Yip. Like Yippie Kaye, motherfucker. In those movies, they are like just like a lot of fast kicks, jabs, and it looks like really cool and beautiful, but it's like it's not as like in your face aggressive. And this, like the hits take you down so hard. Like when he's elbowing somebody at the top of their head, it looks fucking painful. And well, and the thing with Og Bach is anytime he elbows someone in the top of the head, they show it like four times. Anything he does cool in the first movie is slowed down 
and replayed like three times. So if you missed an elbow to the head the first time, you get three other chances to see it in different angles. Well, you know, it's because this movie was written around the stunts. It was not like somebody came up with an inspired story and decided to add a little bit of martial arts elements. I'm almost positive they decided on what would be a cool stunt. They had Tony Jaa do it, and then uh, they made a story work as best as possible around it. But the story's fucking terrible. I'm just going to go into that. It very much reminded me of the the Simpsons episode where Bart stole the head of Jebediah Springfield and everybody made a big deal about it. But it's a fucking statue head. Well, and they make it out like the statue head is gone. And then they kind of cut away after it's stolen to like a week later. And now everything's like all desert. There's no water in the well. So apparently like as soon as the head was stolen... The whole village was just cursed. They did Temple of Doom for this. So you got Simpsons, Jebediah Springfield's head. They're like, let's sprinkle in a little bit of Temple of Doom and then have a bunch of knees and elbows to the head. And that's it. That We got a great movie here. And it could be that we just don't appreciate it because neither of us are well-versed in religion in that part of the world. So it really could be that big of a deal to a small village like that. And we just don't fully understand the concept of it. I'm sure it's culturally significant, but I'm a skeptic atheist. Like, I find all these uh, supernatural beliefs kind of goofy. So, like, to me, it's just like, this is a dumb plot. But I'm enjoying it just because of the action scenes are pretty cool. And I like Hong Lei, who I'm pretty sure he was in uh, the Protector series, too. He's also in the second Ong Bak. I don't know if you noticed. Yeah, for like five seconds. I looked him up. He's a comedian. So like, I want to see his stand-up in Thailand. I'm sure I wouldn't get any of the jokes if I saw it live. But uh, if I could find it on YouTube with a translator, I'll bet it's great. Yeah, and he's genuinely funny. And he brings kind of a whole other aspect to the movie. Because without him, it really is just very, very bleak, bad storytelling. And Tony Jaw flying through the air, kneeing and elbowing people. Which probably still would have been amazing. But having George or Humley kind of in there nagging him along with his comedic relief works pretty well. They set up Humley kind of weird. Like, after the statue's stolen, which we'll go back to the statue at the beginning because that whole thing's kind of stupid. But after the statue's stolen, they, they send him to find uh, Humley, who's, I guess, his cousin or something. And he finds Humley in the city because he's going to help him find the guy that stole the statue's head. And originally, Humley is saying, like, oh, I'm not Humley, I'm George. You got the wrong guy. For a while, I'm, like, waiting for him to show that he really isn't Humley because the only time he actually acknowledged who he was was when he saw that Tony Ja had some money. Money falling out of his pocket. Because Humley is very much a gambling addict. Yeah. Well, he's an idiot. Like, he robs Tony Ja or Ting, whatever you want to go by. He robs Ting by bringing him back to his actual house and then having Ting uh, go into the bathroom to take a shower and then he immediately robs him even before the water is running or anything like that. You don't bring somebody to your house when you're going to rob them. It's so fucking stupid. Like, worst case scenario, even if he wasn't action-packed Tony Jaw, he could have just waited at his house, and he would have had to come back sooner or later. Yeah, it made no sense at all. Like, be happy, rob him, do what makes you happy, but don't bring him to your fucking house. But before we get too far away from the village, because the movie starts in Ting's village, which is... A very traditional village, I would say. It's like every other village I've ever seen in any martial arts movie. Based off of stereotypes that we learned in movies, it's very traditional, but I've never been to Thailand. It could be like complete opposite of traditional. We're not historians. Don't like pass yourself off as one. 
No, I'm not. I'm just saying from the other movies that we have to go off with all of our martial art movie knowledge or lack thereof, it seems like a very traditional opening. But the movie starts off with a bunch of guys trying to scale this ginormous tree in almost like a capture the flag type thing. It is capture the flag. There's a flag at the very top of the tree. It's the first thing they show in the movie. And it's just like every man for themselves. And at the start, you're like, oh, they're just racing up this tree. And then next thing you know, people are throwing each other off branches and just landing on the dirt below. This is the shot for the women because there's a lot of asses shown in that first scene. Like they're grabbing people by the pants and pulling them off the tree. And they're like smacking on branches as they fall down. Like these people in real life, they're fucking dead. All for a fucking capture the flag game. Yeah, all just so they could be praised as the winners. And Tony Jaw gets a flag and starts descending. And then ends up jumping from like halfway down the tree. Like he starts scaling down and going a couple branches here, a couple branches here, running away from this other guy, pushing this one guy. And then he realizes he's just over it and just jumps from like halfway off the tree and is totally fine. He was moving like a fucking leopard. It's pretty crazy the shit that he's doing. I'm sure like there's no movie magic behind this. He's showing off. There's no wires on him. He's jumping from branch to branch like this is no big fucking deal. And that's why I love Tony Jaw. In these movies especially, there's zero wire work from Tony Jaw, which is what I love. I didn't even do the research. I just assumed because that was the big selling point on Protector. The only movie that he's ever done wire work for is Monster Hunter. And he said it in an interview that it was so different for him because it's the first time that he ever worked with wires. It's probably embarrassing for him. Which I haven't seen Monster Hunter. I haven't even heard of Monster Hunter. Did he do like a horror movie? I'm pretty sure it was based off of a video game of the same name. And I want to say it has, ooh, Charlize Theron. He did a movie with her? It just came out. It was like a 2020 release. He did, uh, no, he wasn't in Fate of the Furious. He was in Seven. That was before Charlize Theron. I knew he did a franchise with her, although they really underused him in it. But I, I didn't know he had done Monster Hunter or whatever. Is it actually Hunting Monsters? Because we'll have to add that to the list. It's actually Hunting Monsters, and it's not Charlize Theron. It's Mila Jovovich of Resident Evil fame. You said both their names weird to me. Mila Jovovich. I can't fucking Jovovich? say her name right now. Is that not how it's pronounced? <laughs> well, you, you're, the way you're saying Charlize Theron is weird to me. Charlize Theron? That's how it's pronounced. No, it's pronounced Theron. Everybody does it weird, but I, I swear I saw an interview where she corrected people because everybody says it like a fucking idiot. It's Charlize Theron. I'm not taking name advice from anyone who thinks that it's Christopher Lambert. I have confirmed 100% that it is Christopher Lambert. There's two movies that he produced. Highlander 2 is one of them. And the production company was Lamb, as in an animal lamb, and Bear, as in an animal bear. It was Lamb Bear Productions. Obviously, an allusion to his name. I fucking solved this a long time ago, and people are arguing with me about this. So before we get too far away from it, because now I've brought it up, so apparently it's part of this podcast, Monster Hunter is Mila Jovovich and Tony Jaw, basically they're soldiers that get transported to this other world where they're being hunted by ginormous monsters. Came out last year, apparently. So apparently we just missed it. I'll, I'll definitely add it to the list. I have, uh, going back to the movie that we're watching, what do you think about the whole setup for this? Because they came down there to buy like this little Buddha trinket that looks kind of like a piece of shit, but I'm sure it's culturally significant. And uh, the guy's like, no, I'm not selling it. I'm giving it to my son or whatever. How did they end up coming down there for that? Like, the the bad guy, I'm blanking on his name. 
Do you remember his name? The one that actually stole the thing? The one that the guy that stole the head of Ong Bak. It was Don. He came all the way down from the city. He makes a big deal about it to go and see this trinket. It's not even the, the head of Ong Bak statue. It's like this little trinket you can hold in your hand. He was going to buy it from him for like $200,000 or something like that. And the guy wouldn't sell. How the hell did they hear about it all the way in the city and come all the way down there without knowing the guy wasn't going to fucking sell? I assumed it was one of those things where he heard about it or someone told him about it in the village and it got to him and he just assumed that he could go to that village and just buy whatever he wanted with just a little bit of money. But this guy's got morals, not going to take money for just anything. He's coming down like he knows he's getting a sale and the guy's like, nah, I'm just fucking around with you. I'm not selling it. Well, and I think that's why Don was so pissed off, which makes him steal the head of Ong Bak. Because the head of Ong Bak, to him, is nothing significant. He did it for no reason. Like, it's not worth anything to him. The only reason he did it is because he was pissed off at the guy for not selling the trinket. His boss didn't even fucking care. He wanted the fucking trinket. And honestly, the head of Ong Bak's way nicer than that. And he brings it to the drug lord. I love the two drug lords. The ones that are always betting against each other in all these fight clubs. Their interactions back and forth are hilarious. Well, you got the one drug lord who uh, has the hole in his throat for smoking, and then you got like a regular, like, he, he seems like the party guy drug lord, but smoking through the throat drug lord is like the big bad for this movie. And I, I kind of, like, it's interesting, but I that's, that's where I kind of have a problem with the movie, is you want your big bad to be intimidating to somebody. Like, you, and when you watch, like, Lethal Weapon, they always give, like, uh, two big bad guys. There's, like, the henchman that can do fucking martial arts, and then there's an old guy for Danny Glover to go after. But Because Tony Jaws is, like, the entire lead for this, you need a bad guy that can go up against him. And we don't get that out of the smoking guy. No, but he has his henchman who's jacked up on the roids, who gives Tony Jaw a good little run for his money there. But Tony Jaw can't be Mel Gibson and Danny Glover in the same movie. It doesn't work. It's a tiny complaint, and there's a couple other tiny complaints that I gotta get to as long as I'm nitpicking on this movie, but I, I didn't like him as the big bad. But he has the little vibrating machine to talk. I don't know if there's a technical term for that, but I always call it the throat vibrator. So he's got the <laughs> throat vibrator and he uses it to talk, but then he says something funny. And while he's laughing, he puts the throat vibrator to the hole and is like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> like you can clearly tell he's laughing by the way he's moving and staring at the guy. But the fact that he went through the extra effort to use the throat vibrator to convey the laughter had me dying in that scene where they're in the fight club together. It reminds me of Ned from South Park. It's it, it's funny. Like I do, I do appreciate him. I just think he shouldn't have been the last guy to be taken out. He should have been taken out, and then you get to like the the guy that you were talking about that's all worried up. It should have been him last. So Tony Jaw follows our guy Humley after he gets his money stolen. Humley apparently knows exactly where to go when he gets some cash. And decides to go to Fight Club and bets all the money literally within 15 minutes. He walks in the door and bets all his money on one of these fighters. And little do we know, Tony Jaw stumbles in there and not even five minutes later, he's in the ring. 
Oh. He, he walks across because he sees the town's money because the town's money looks like little trinkets and like doesn't it doesn't look like the regular money that people are throwing around. It's 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 more like old fashioned, I guess. He sees it. He decides to walk straight across the ring, and apparently, if you walk in the middle of the ring, you're a fucking fighter now. And that's where we get like our first real okay. Tony Jaws the business type of scene where he fights this generic guile American soldier. That is about as stereotypical as he could be and knocks him out literally instantly. Yeah, like first hit, he's coming out. He's, Tony Jaws not even thinking about it. What I do like is like at the beginning of the movie, they establish that he's never supposed to fight again. And like he instantly forgets about that as soon as some guy's charging at him. Just the first guy that steps to him, he completely lays down with a kick. I mean, they do this in all the martial arts movies, like the big boss with uh, Bruce Lee, and even Steven Seagal's done that in a couple of his movies where, like, no, I'm a peaceful guy. I'm not going to fuck. And, like, instantly, as soon as anything's going down, he uses it. There's no restraint. So we have a few scenes. They keep going back to that same fight club. One, so the two mob bosses can just keep gambling against each other, 10 million money at a time. And we get what? four or five different Tony Jaw fights. He keeps getting dragged into the ring and he keeps fighting them. Who's your favorite fighter, Josh, out of all of them? We had the generic American soldier. We had like that English kind of rock and roll type of guy. You're talking about Big Bear. Big Bear. I have it on in the background right now in case I need any reminders from the movie. I'm at the Big Bear scene. And this is why you needed Humley in this movie. Humley, George. Because Tony Jaw's character, Ting, is a fucking prick. He, he's so fucking focused on the stupid statue. Like, th- this guy, Big Bear, is trying to goad uh, Tony Jaw into the ring to fight him. And, like, Tony Jaw doesn't give a shit. He grabs a waitress. He's, like, basically, like, molesting her and, like, like grabbing her inappropriately. And Tony Jaw's like, I'm, I'm just going about getting my statue right now. Did not even blink. Just kept on looking for a statue. He's like, oh, that, I mean, that's interesting. I, 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 I guess that's what goes on here. What, what about the, my statue head? And then he just keeps going. Then, like, a random guy who's, like, way skinnier than Tony Jaw decides he's going to defend the waitress. He starts getting his ass kicked. He's fucking dying in there. Tony Jaw's still like, no, just care about my statue head. <laughs> And then the waitress that the skinny guy was trying to defend comes in and tries to fight Big Bear. All this happens before Tony Jaw decides, okay, I guess it's time for me to start doing something. Like, he's not a heroic character. He, he definitely knows how to kick ass, but he's very focused on one stupid goal. Well, and even then, like, he still doesn't want to step in and fight. It's Hum Lay that's like, I'm not going to help you and tell you where the statue is unless you go in there and fight this guy. Obviously, he's got ulterior motives because he wants to bet on the fight. I mean, but yeah, if, if Hum Lay wasn't there, those people would have been fucking killed by Big Bear. And he would have just kept going about his day. Like, that's not his problem. Like, it builds up a bad character. He never gets really past it. Like, towards the end, he starts crying about something. But he's got a statue at that point. He's like, okay, I can have a couple other priorities. But uh, for the most part, he's very focused on the statue. And it makes his character look like a dick. I definitely thought of you when I saw Big Bear. He just had the long hair. He had the attitude. You could tell he's listened to a heavy metal album or two. And I was like, that reminds me of Josh. If you were going to be an awful human being that was unnecessarily buff, I could see you being Big Bear. You just need an accent. But I have short hair. 
and I'm not buff. I'm like as complete opposite as Big Bear as I could possibly be. And I don't grab random women without their consent. Don't give the listeners the wrong idea. I do not encourage Big Bear's actions. <laughs> if I was going to be one of the fighters, I would have 100% been the Afro dancing guy that comes and fights Tony Jaw after he beats Big Bear. This guy's just unnecessarily flamboyant. And he's like dancing around. He's doing the Bruce Lee woo kind of thing. He's throwing like fancy kicks. And he ends up getting knocked out pretty quickly. <laughs> but he was all show and I loved it. He was my favorite one that Tony Jaw fought. I mean, that round's pretty good. I just got to the point where Big Bear gets knocked down to the ground three times. He did one elbow to his head, and that wasn't enough, of course. It took him going double elbow on the top of his head in order to knock Big Bear down. That's fucking awesome. And it looks brutal. Like, the two, like, points of the elbows just right into the top of the head looks, like, so just in your face. I don't know how they pull the punches on that because uh, you said he's doing no wires. I don't know how they do it where he's putting elbows to the head and somehow people aren't fucking dying. Well, then they slow it down just so you know, hey, look, that's not fake. Well, exactly. I, I just got to the Afro guy. And there's some fucking moves. I, I like these guys that are doing like the dancing fucking martial arts things. Like their feet's going all fucking fast, but it doesn't matter how fast their footwork is if it isn't doing fucking anything. So we have to talk about it. After the fight club scene, they're in an alley and Don and his group of bad guy thugs decide that they're going to go beat up Pumley. And it's almost there that Tony Jaw just decides to leave again. Like, hey, you know what? Pumley hasn't helped me out at all. If he's going to get beat up, he's going to get beat up. But then they have the other girl. I cannot think of her name. Uh humley's sidekick i can't remember her name all that i know is that she helped him commit crimes i can't think of her name but she ends up getting slapped and apparently that's tony jaw's breaking point it didn't matter when the waitress got slapped that didn't seem to bother him but i guess because he has a little bit of rapport with this girl unlike us he actually knew her name and i guess that made it important enough for him to go and step in on it so that kind of starts this big chase scene where this group of like 25 30 thugs are chasing Tony John Humley through the streets of Bangkok. And it's such a great scene. Because you're seeing Tony John do all the stunts badass, and then you have Humley coming up and fucking up everything. It's perfect. It's like perfect comedic timing compared with Tony John, who's jumping sideways through like these little panes of glass and doing like split jumps over all these blades. And then you have Humley kind of stumbling behind him. Like trying to jump over the same thing Tony Jaw did and ripping his pants or trying to go through this and having to turn sideways and walk through it. Like Tony Jaw does some amazing things as he's running through. He's very talented and then Humley knows how to do the, the comedic stuff. Let me let me tell you one of my nitpicks that I, I noticed in this movie. And it bothers me a lot, but I know it's something fucking stupid. Because the martial arts are fucking amazing. And they did fix this problem in the second movie. But the sound effects are kind of turned the fuck down in this movie. Like, I love martial arts movies where, like, the hits are exaggerated to the extreme. And, like, all the hits that we're hearing in this movie, they're, like, little, little, little blips on your radar. And, like, even when uh, Tony Jaa has, like, plates getting broken over his head, it's just, like, a little ting against him. They needed to bring up the sound effects a lot to really bring you into the fights a little bit more. 
And I don't know if that was like a conscious choice. I don't know if they were just trying to be realistic and, hey, that's what this actually sounds like. Or if they just really didn't have the skills in post-production to add the necessary sound effects to make it a little bit more in your face. Because the moves and some of the stuff that he does is really like in your face, kind of visceral. And the sound doesn't match, at least in the first one. I wasn't sure if I was the only one finding this complaint because it makes a big difference. Like most martial arts movies, if somebody moves their hand to like write with a pen, you're hearing all the with that writing of the pen. This, it's a little bit too subtle for me. And it kind of brings me out of the movie a little bit. I love movie sound effects bringing me in. These sound effects don't exist in the real world. I'm aware of that, but I still need to hear them. No, I'm, I'm with you. I noticed it too. And it's something that they fix in the second one, which I promise we're going to get to at some point in this podcast. The problem that I have with this movie is there's one scene for me that seems completely out of place. Later on in the movie, Ting finally finds Don, who is the guy that stole the Ongbok head. So he's finally tracked him down. He's finally found him at his drug lord apartment. And he's in his room with this girl who's clearly a drug mule for him. And she tells him, hey, I'm trying to kick the habit. And he just kind of goes off for no reason and just shoves a bunch of cocaine like in her mouth. He forcibly Tony Montana's her. Right. And she is not prepared for it and ends up clearly overdosing from the amounts of cocaine that he stuffs in it. It's like a really dark scene. And it really doesn't do anything to advance the plot because we already know Don's a bad guy at this point. We already know what he did to be a bad guy. And the whole scene just kind of feels out of place. It's a really awkwardly dark scene for the rest of the movie. It would have been a fine scene to me, except for the fact that Tony Jaa gets there when she's kind of overdosing, and he's still completely focused on Don. Like, that's, that's the scene where your, your hero should be like, I gotta focus my priorities. It's a guy who stole a statue head, or a woman who's dying, and he goes after the, the guy who stole the statue head and leaves that woman to fucking die of an overdose. Right, and then Humley kind of goes, oh, because he knows who she is, and he's kind of sympathetic, and he's looking for someone to help him, but at this point, Tony Jaw's already gone. And then he apparently decides to leave, too, because they all hop in these little tuk-tuks, and now we're racing down the streets of Bangkok in tuk-tuks, and just this unnecessarily long Fast and the Furious tuk-tuk scene. Is that what those things are called? Because I was just calling them, like, fancy tricycle motorcycles or whatever. Yeah, they're called either tuk-tuks or tuk-tuks. I don't know exactly how it's pronounced. I'm going to say tuk-tuk because I like saying that a little bit more. But they're motorized tricycles with uh, seats on them. And there's like 30 of them. Tony Jaw's chasing Don. 20 people are chasing Tony Jaw. And then Humley is just kind of in the middle of it all. Well, Humley does actually call an ambulance for the girl that was uh, overdosing. Tony Jaw doesn't give a shit about it. One thing that's weird about this scene is there's no motorized anything in Ting's little village. But somehow his martial arts skills are good enough that he can drive these tuk-tuk or whatever better than anybody else in uh, Don's crew. Yeah, no issues for someone who probably hasn't driven a lot in his life. No issues picking up how to drive the tuk-tuks he hasn't driven ever you look at that village they, they don't even have a fucking bicycle there and he's like weaving in and out of traffic he's like slamming on the brakes to avoid people all the other ones are going up on like one wheel and flipping over but he's completely fine 
what's great is Homeway gets in the middle of it. They end up going across a bridge and the bridge isn't uh, even finished being made. Homeway is like 30 feet ahead of the rest of these guys and he manages to hit the brakes and stop. They see him stopping at the edge and somehow all of Don's crew goes over the fucking edge despite the fact that they had a guy ahead of them that knew to fucking stop. Like 10 tuk-tuks went off the edge. They could clearly see him and they just kept going shoo, shoo, shoo and just exploding at the bottom of this bridge which is fun to watch because it's fun to watch them fall down and kind of stack on top of each other. And again, no CGI, so those were all the actual tuk-tuks falling from the bridge. I mean, the only reason why none of them should have slowed down and stopped on the bridge was if there was a bomb and they could not go under 88 miles per hour. This was <laughs> fucking stupid that they just kept going after they saw him stop. But I mean, whatever. I, I'll take little tuk-tuk explosions, which there are some tuk-tuk explosions. that They kind of seem ridiculous. And again, the sound effect of the explosion wasn't that much. It was like the explosion that matches if you put a metal in a microwave. Don't lie, you're having a lot of fun saying tuk-tuk, right? It's a fucking stupid word. <laughs> it's the ride so nice they named it twice. <laughs> Alright, so we eventually get to the point where is, is this sometime after the tuk-tuk scene? Humle is able to talk to Don and like try to persuade him to uh, give back the head of Ongbok. He just has to do something that Tony Ja might find bad. And then he's finally gets into a fight with this guy if he wins this fight he's supposed to be able to get uh the head of Wong Bok back and he's fucking putting his all in the, against this guy and like none of his hits are hurting him like he elbows his head so many times and like the elbow of the head doesn't do anything he's like kneeing him knees don't do anything Tony Jaw gets his ass kicked and eventually you find out he fucking through the fight which makes no fucking sense at all because they still the sound effects are weak but you're still hearing the sound effects of him hitting body when he's going up against this guy and they don't look any different than any of the other elbows to the heads or knees to the body that he's been knocking people out with the whole movie but this guy's apparently got the super roids he's got whatever the wwe uses because he was getting abused and did not even flinch but the thing is, later on in the movie, uh, of course, vibrating voice guy doesn't honor his deal, and uh, he doesn't get the head back. So eventually, he comes in the climax. We're going to move this ahead a little bit faster, because we don't need to give him every single fucking scene in this movie. In the climax, when he's going up against this warrior guy, his hits are hurting him a little bit this time. You know what? A knee to the fucking head fucking hurts. <laughs> it hurts to the point that this guy apparently just carries steroids in his pocket because he got knee to the head, he got elbowed to the head, he got jumped from like a second story and landed on. This guy's in all sorts of pain. But he just whips out, I kid you not, like 10 steroid needles just out of nowhere and just stabs himself in the heart with them. He pulled fiction himself like 10 times in that scene, and apparently that's okay. I would have thought you do that much at once, you're fucking dead. Well, especially if you're getting like hit in the heart. Like I can't imagine your heart being able to take that much with all those steroids being injected directly into the heart. But that's kind of our big climax fight, is Tony Jaw finally getting the Ongbok statue, finally fighting this guy that he threw the fight with earlier, and then finally accomplishing his mission. The thing is, the entire movie, like, Tony Jaa is ready to give down his life for the fucking stupid statue head. And Humle, George, 
our great comedic relief, the only person with any kind of empathy in the entire movie, despite him being a little bit of a shady thief kind of character, he fucking gives his life up for the Ong Bok head. Like, he started off as an awful person, then you kind of start to like him as the movie progresses, you realize, okay, he's not as bad, he's just got a gambling addiction, and then, like, the whole movie comes to a point where this big statue is about to fall on Vibrity Neck, and it's gonna crush Ong Bok with it, and Humley saves the Ong Bok statue, lays down his life, and he's, like, smushed under the statue, slowly dying with the girl whose name we don't know, off to the side crying, and, like, it's this perfect character arc that was really the only thing that they developed at all in an otherwise pretty blah story. I, I think they probably realize Tony Jaa's not an actor. He, he's a guy that can hit you amazingly well, do some cool flips and shit. But, like, e- even in the second movie, it, it, they had all the other people carry the acting moments. But you know what? It works. It does. If you're not going to be a good actor, you have to be a damn good martial artist and tony jaw is a damn good martial artist oh yeah do you still call it martial arts when you're doing muay thai or are we speaking like ignorant people here i would imagine that muay thai is considered a martial art okay it it better be because otherwise we're gonna have the one person that listens to this a year from now going they don't know what the fuck they're talking about i'd imagine it's a martial art like kung fu or taekwondo or different disciplines like that they're all considered martial arts they're just different disciplines all right yeah then well now i just added myself as the person doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about it's not the first time in our 10 episodes so far (laughs) well we're 11 now on this one all right so i think we're at the point can we say is this a bloody good film before we get into the final question, what's your favorite scene in this movie? Oh, shit. I think it's the big bear fight. A big bear fight's a good one. The double tap of the elbows against him. I just fucking love that. My favorite scene, there's a quick scene after he throws the fight where they end up in like this abandoned gas station and things get out of hand. And like a video game, there's these gas barrels that people start shooting and obviously the gas barrels explode. Tony Jaw gets gasoline on his legs. And the next thing you know, Tony Jaw comes flying out of the fire and just double knees this guy in the face with his legs on fire. I didn't even remember that. That's fucking beautiful. It is amazing to watch. And I had to double check. I was like, okay, there's no way he actually did that. 100% actually did that. 100% had to go to the hospital for burns on his legs. Really? Makes it all the more amazing. That he was willing to light his legs on fire, jump through flames, and knee this guy in the face. Okay, I changed my answer. I'm going to go with that. (laughs) But you just reminded me, and I'm glad you brought it up because it was in my notes because it was so fucking stupid. They're supposed to kill Tony Ja and Humile. The guy on his way out, he's like, make it silent. So the guy has his gun like an inch away from Tony Jaw's head. And then he decides, oh, I got to make it silent. So he starts putting the silencer on while he's standing over Tony Jaw, who you already know is a flexible martial artist. So while he's putting the silencer on, he can't fucking shoot him. So Tony Jaw, of course, kicks his fucking ass like the fucking dumbass he is who decided to, to mess with his silencer at that moment. You know you're in a room with a very dangerous person. You've watched him fly knee and double elbow everyone else in your crew, I'd imagine you would take a little bit more caution in that situation. 
There were two guys there. You have one guy put the gun unsilenced on him, and then you have the guy that's messing around with the silencer. Go ahead and, and take care of that so they can do it silently. But if he starts kicking, you shoot him no matter how fucking loud it gets. They're also at an abandoned gas station in the middle of nowhere. Like, why not just shoot him at that point? I mean, yeah, if it was me, like, I hear stuff like that all the time where I live. I would probably think it was fireworks or something like that. I've had fireworks go off in, like, September or somebody was getting shot outside one of those two but i didn't think anything of it (laughs) it ended up being a lot louder there was an explosion half the gas station blows up i imagine that's a little bit louder than if they just would have shot him yeah but to be fair the explosion wasn't that loud in the movie (laughs) you wouldn't you wouldn't have heard it like like a block away (laughs) all right josh do you think the first on block is a bloody good film it is a bloody good film. There, there are some issues with it, like the sound, the story. None of that's going to bring you in. But the stunts are very cool. It, it's definitely worth watching. It's not my favorite martial arts movie. I think there's a lot of better ones. But it's definitely one worth watching. Yeah, it's really good. It's peak Tony Jaw. It is 100% a bloody good film. The street scene where he's flipping through and jumping over stuff... All the flying knees and elbows and everything like that are great. Humley is fun. Like, it's a fun kind of slapstick moment throughout the movie with him. Other than that, obviously the acting's terrible, but you don't necessarily <laughs> watch some of these movies for the acting prowess. But I would 100% recommend this movie for anyone that enjoys martial arts movies or is just looking for, like, an action-packed kind of fun thing absolutely my rating seemed a little bad but i absolutely do enjoy this movie i'm really curious as to why i haven't watched it in so many years although like we had a couple different recording days on this and i wanted to make sure that i had it fresh in my head so i probably watched this movie like four times in the last couple of days where i'm really surprised that i forgot about the fucking fire kick because i should have fucking had that on my list it's an enjoyable movie it's definitely good it's definitely one that people should be watching out despite all the nitpicks that i've had on it and that leads us into the second movie which is equally good or to me even better i think we might be in agreement okay for the synopsis on this and this prequel to on buck that is told out of sequence in release and narrative tn is saved from slavery by a band of martial arts thieves who teach him Muay Thai. When a flashback reminds him that he should avenge his parents, he seeks the warlord that killed him. That's pretty good. There's a couple jabs in there on that synopsis because uh, this was needlessly told out of sequence and I think it took away from the emotional stakes in this movie. Because like for probably like the first 50 minutes of the movie, you're trying to find his motivations for anything that he's doing. So here's my thing with this movie. It's not a prequel. Because the movie itself has nothing to do with the first character. Tony Jaw plays a completely different character. I assume there's some sort of ancestral thing that they're trying to get into. But this is 100% a standalone movie. It says Ong Bok in the name, but it is not the Ong Bok that we just talked about. I thought maybe it was going to come together in the third movie. Because I actually have never seen the third movie. And this one kind of leads into what I assume will be the, the third movie's plot. The statue is not even really in it. Like they show it in the last 10 seconds as like a flash, but it's not really about the statue either. No, you could watch this movie completely out of order, like not see the first Ong Bok at all. 
and you would still be able to completely understand what's going on the same as if you had seen the movie first. I don't want to get too far into the third movie because I haven't seen it, but in the third movie, it doesn't wrap around to being a legit prequel. Not really. It doesn't really <laughs> tie anything. Doesn't really Muay tie into anything. Well, yeah, there's Muay Thai because there's knees and elbows. Those stay consistent through the three movies. Ong Bak could literally mean knee and elbow, and I wouldn't know the difference. I mean, honestly, knee and elbow is a good name for this movie. I don't know why he hasn't done that yet. Just because that's his thing. In The Protector, that was what made me a fan of him, is fucking knees across the room. Now, the thing about Protector that made me a fan was the one-take leg-breaking scene, which is one of the greatest scenes in martial arts history. Oh yeah, and we'll definitely get into that. But uh, I've noticed something with martial arts movies. I tend to like the ones that take place in the past better than the ones that are trying to represent the present. Like in China ones, I know it's because they have more leniency with the kind of story that they're able to tell just because of the laws. But in this one, it works as well. There's way more weaponry done in this movie, which there's almost no weapons uh, done in the first song block. Right, and that's one of the reasons I love this one the most. This is my favorite one in the series, and it is because of that time period. I love period pieces, not necessarily just in martial arts movies, but I love like these old feudal movies where they have the weapons, the swords, the sticks, but even like medieval times, even like 300 I liked a lot. I just like these older time periods kind of told from a modern perspective. I just think they always come out so cool. I hate to be you know, such a layman using that term, but they really are. They're just cool movies. I mean, as long as it's a martial arts movie, I'm cool with it being in the past. But uh, for the most part, I fucking hate period pieces. Martial arts movies are the, the one exception for that. The feudal Japan samurai movies are great. You know, these Chinese war epics that we've got are great. And this one kind of fits right in. We don't really care too much about what's going on with who's taking over the village or becoming the new emperor, whatever the case may be. We don't really care too much about that because it really is playing a backseat to the action in this movie. Well, like 50% of the movie, we don't even know what's motivating him. Like, we start out the movie like a kid's thrown from a horse, and then uh, the guy that threw him from the horse is hit with a bunch of arrows, and then uh, the kid's put into slavery, and he fights a fucking alligator, which is pretty damn cool, fighting an alligator. He's raised by this, these thieves after he, he got saved by Mr. Mustache throwing him the, the knife while he's fighting the alligator. Oh, no, it's a crocodile. I always get those confused because they look exactly the same. He gives him a knife while he's fighting the crocodile, and that's enough to save him. And then he raises him to be uh, basically an outlaw king eventually. For a while, we don't know any motivation about why he's a slave which he was a slave for like a day. And then uh, he gets into outlaw. You see him training with these martial arts outlaws. And then he's kind of seems like he's a bad guy for a little bit. Tony Jock grows into long black hair. He's wearing like black uniform. He, he's killing people. We don't know any motivation for why he's killing people. Yeah, they look like they're just bandits. Like they're literally just outlaws. They're raiding camps and stuff like that. And he even calls them raids in the movie. Like he's going to lead us on our next raid. So yeah, he does kind of look like a bad guy. So once again, Tony Jaws being a dick for another movie. Like he's supposed to be the hero in both of these. And he's a fucking dick. Yeah, well, there's really no hero in this one. I mean... I guess it's the lesser of two evils. Yeah, Tony Jaw is an outlaw and, you know, a genuinely not great person in this one. But I guess the big villain is the evil emperor who's trying to take over everything. But you get so little on him that it really doesn't leave an impact. 
you don't even get any thought about him until like halfway into the movie and like okay now's the time that we're gonna have a flashback there's nothing that really that calls back to the flashback except for he's having a bad day i guess he flashes back he gets childhood he wants to fight and then he goes to a dance school for some reason he's a terrible ballerina but he makes friends with this one girl who says his name way too many fucking times nobody should say your name that much i don't go jesse what's your thought on this jesse that's interesting jesse how's it going but she says tn 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 every start of her fucking sentences it drove me fucking crazy and i i listened to it with subtitles and i listened to it uh with uh overdubs and it's fucking annoying both ways which do you prefer i was gonna ask that i actually have that in my notes because i watched the original with subtitles and then for some reason, the second one is dubbed on my DVD. So I watched the second one dubbed. Which do you prefer when you watch these foreign films? I usually watch them uh, with subtitles with the original language. But because I was taking notes the first time I watched these, I did it dubbed just because I, I didn't want to miss anything while I was taking notes. And the, the acting while it's dubbed is so bad. Because like uh, there's this scene where he's going to leave the, the ballet village to become a warrior. It turns out the guy that was taking him was actually kidnapping him or whatever and then a guy that's actually trying to protect him sees him he's going to save him and he has the nerdiest fucking overdub i've ever seen you will not live bring me the master it's so fucking bad like it's like screech from saved by the bell is overdubbing this guy and it does not fucking work rest in peace <laughs> oh yeah he just died dustin diamond yeah whatever uh he, he's trying to be badass and he wins the fucking fight but his voice is so fucking lame i hate the dubs in the second movie this is the second time i watched it with dubs i will never watch this movie again with dubs the subtitles are perfectly fine the acting on the dubs are incredibly awful even for dubs i mean i kind of enjoy it in like a so bad it's good type of thing like that what i was talking about when i heard that guy's voice it made me laugh it, it's very much like in the vein of like kung pao with, uh, <laughs> without with trying to be. <laughs> yeah it's, it's the kind of shit that they were making fun of so tony jaw gets saved by this gypsy ninja warrior band of outlaws the whole like group is a really fun group like he goes through this like training montage where he's learning from all the different members of the group and they have like super buff guy they have this like face tattoo guy that's super crazy they have a guy that throws bombs around like swordsman and like this whole training montage they do where he's learning all these different martial arts from these different warriors is like such a fun like 10 minute scene where he's like learning and then he's taking on the masters in their respective genres and like beating them one by one to become i guess the new king of the gypsies and you know that he's fully like become awesome when he goes into a herd of elephants and he's able to elbow one of them in the fucking head and the elephant goes like that fucking hurt i'm gonna sit down so he kicks the elephant's ass and gets respect from all the other elephants that's how you know he's a fucking amazing muay thai fighter now that happens twice in the movie where these poor elephants get flipped on and then just elbow dropped right in the top of the head. And apparently that's how you control an elephant. And so Barnum and Bailey were doing all those years. They were just getting on top and kneeing them and elbowing them in the top of the head to make them work in the circus. I mean, I'm just going to say this right here. I don't condone 
elbowing elephants in the head. I mean, these ones seem fine, but uh, don't elbow elephants in the head. If, if you take one thing from listening to this, do not fucking elbow elephants in the head. It's not cool. But there's a scene in the movie where they're fighting on an elephant. It's amazing. It's as cool as it sounds. Like he flips up on the elephant. They're fighting on top of the elephant. Someone gets literally double kneed through the horns of the elephant onto the ground. I think that was Tony Jaw. <laughs> Tony Jaw, after delivering 35 double knees in the first movie, takes a double knee through an elephant in the second movie. And it's amazing. And a lot of this is a bad CGI elephant. They go back and forth between practical. And then on some sets, I'm pretty sure it's just like a gray hump that they're fighting on. <laughs> it, it's pretty obvious that it, it's fake for a, a good chunk of it. Because I'd kind of be upset if they were actually trying to fight on a natural elephant. And I'm kind of glad that you can see where it's fake. But it, it's an entertaining fight regardless of that. And there's a couple like really entertaining fights. So this story is a lot more convoluted than the first one. The first one doesn't really have a story. It has a very basic premise, and that's really all you need. This one has a lot going on that doesn't really make sense. It all kind of comes together in the end, but even the way it finally comes together is kind of lame and unnecessary. So again, we're not going to recommend this movie when we decide whether or not it's a bloody good film based on the story. I mean, the, the best martial arts movies, you, you don't really fucking care about the story. So e even though we're bashing it, this is because it's a podcast, you can listen to this. We got to point out where it's failing, but it 100%, it's a good movie. And some of the best scenes are obviously when Tony Jaw takes center stage. There's a scene in the market where he finally finds the slave traders that were trading him at the beginning of the movie. And he plays like this weird kind of drunken Muay Thai type of thing. I don't know if he's actually supposed to be drunk. I think he's drunk. And he is amazing in this drunk Muay Thai scene. Like, he's throwing pots. He's, like, stumbling around. And as he's stumbling, he's delivering, like, these bone-crunching elbows to the face. And then he finally gets face-to-face -face with the guy that threw him into the crocodile pit. That guy is so fucking weird looking we gotta we gotta give it a, a side just for his fucking face if you've ever seen like totem poles on like mayan temples his head looks like it would fit on one of those it's so fucking bizarre he's a monster just on that alone he's a scary looking guy like he could be a wrestler he reminds me of like apocalypto like he has that kind of face look to him and he just looks like he would generally not be a pleasant person to deal with is Apocalypto like a wrestling thing? Because I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. That's a Mel Gibson directed movie about the oh, fucking saw that. Aztec warriors or the Mayan warriors. I stopped watching that when Mel Gibson started uh, hating on my people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he kind of <laughs> looks like he could have been an extra in that movie. He's a generally scary looking guy. What makes him scarier is Tony Jaw finally gets his hands on him. And you can tell Tony Jaw really, really hates this guy for everything that he did when he was younger. He grabs his Adam's apple and is like moving it around his neck. And it looks amazing. It's like he's playing PlayStation with the joystick control. And he's just like going fucking crazy. He doesn't understand it yet, but he's just jerking around like crazy. 
Yeah, and it's like up, left, right, down, A, B, A, B, elbow. And like he's just pulling him around with his Adam's app after beating up like 20 other people while he was drunk. The whole scene like start to finish is like a 10 minute scene. It's just like he throws a pot to get it started. And then it's just like boom, boom, boom after that. And he kind of ends it where he's like, all right, throw him in the crocodile pit or alligator. Which ones are in the water? It's alligators, right? They both go in the water. I think it's something to do with the length of their snout or something about whether or not they're crocodiles or alligators. They say crocodiles in this movie because I started out with saying alligator and then somebody actually said crocodile, so I had to adjust all my notes. But I think it's like alligators have like a V-shaped snout and I'm going to assume crocodiles have a U-shaped snout. You learned it here. We're an educational podcast as well as a movie podcast. We do it all. One thing I like about this movie as opposed to the first one, is they do mix it up from just the fucking knees and elbows. Like, you're talking about the throat thing? There's a lot of throat hits in this fucking movie. Like, if I was going against him, I'd try to get, like, a chainmail scarf to go around my neck because <laughs> it's a fucking painful-looking hits in this movie. Yeah, and this one, it's very much nothing else but the martial arts. We made fun of the sound effects in the first movie. This one does a lot better job of matching the sound to the violence of the hit. Well, like movie sound. Right, yeah, movie sound. You hear every hit the way you think it's supposed to feel. And that's where this one kind of stands apart. Because this one is pretty brutal. And the last 30 minutes of this movie are one of my favorite 30 minutes of any martial arts movie ever made. Before we get into that, we get to the point where uh, Tony Jaa has to sneak into like the warlord or emperor or whatever his fucking position is called. And you see like the dance from like the women that like the warlords just like yeah this is some fucking good dancing or it's really going really fucking slow and he's just like honing in on the chick i haven't seen a third movie but the entire time i was watching him focus on the girl i assumed that was the girl that he grew up with that was saying his name way too many fucking times because uh he was so focused on her it seemed like it was going to be something significant and it never plays a part in this movie. I don't know if it plays a part in the third movie because I haven't seen it, but I'm feeling something's going on there. Well, she kind of like realizes who it is. Like she realized who Tony Jaw is once he gets up to, I don't want to say the stage, but once he gets up to where the emperors are hanging out and he like starts that little scuffle, like she sees him and she immediately knows who it is and he knows who she is. They kind of have a moment where they kind of look at each other. Do they ever explicitly state who she is? Because I might have fucking missed it. They don't ever say. You're led to believe that it is her. Because obviously she went to a school of dance. And she's clearly dancing. So, and then the little look that they share kind of ties it all together. They're not going to explicitly say it. But you do know just from kind of paying attention. I'm pretty impressed with myself. Because usually I can't read people pretty well. But apparently I might have picked up on something. And you glossed over this scene. Like, oh, it's just the girl was just dancing. This is an absolutely gorgeous scene. Like, there's like a five minute two dance routine where she's doing the traditional, I would I assume would be a traditional Thai dance that she learned at her Thai dance school. Like, the music goes really well. Her dancing is on point. And then Tony Jaw comes in and does like this martial arts dancing where he's like doing crazed, like 
techniques. Yeah, but the warlord's not even looking at Tony Jaa. That's how Tony Jaa snuck in, is he pretended to be a dancer, which, like, everybody was expecting it. I want to see the scene how he got on the docket for the dance ceremony. Like, he just came in and everybody was like, yeah, we need some sexy dancers. The dresses that they had them wearing or the skirts that they had them wearing made it look like the women had, like, dump truck asses. <laughs> and that was and that was working for him. And then after that, the warlord didn't care. He was looking at the girls that looked like they had the dump truck asses. And Tony Jaw's doing all this crazy shit. Who the fuck hired the Tony Jaw type dancer? Like nobody gave a shit at that point. Yeah, but you still have to have like a an extra act. There's, I mean, the party's still going on. There's got to be someone on the stage for the people that aren't talking to the dancers that were just out there. I just want to see the scene where he talked himself into it because they kind of glossed over that. Tony Jaa even has like a mask over his face so that you don't know. Well, anybody that's a complete idiot doesn't know that it's Tony Jaa in the mask doing the crazy martial arts dance. It's awesome. I love that scene. It's such a pretty scene to look at the music, her dance and his. I don't want to call it a dance, but I assume that's what it is. It looks great. I mean, it's cool. I'm just like, I'm trying to think about the logistics of how he got in. I've watched a lot of movies and I've never seen, other than this, the I'm going to dance my way in, into the warlord's palace or whatever. That doesn't work. He doesn't have like a wanted poster. They don't have his picture plastered everywhere. They're not going to know exactly what he looks like. He probably said, I went to so-and-so school of dance. I would like to perform for the king. And they said, okay, you're on after the hot chicks. Yeah, but this is probably like done in like months in advance. These, these, this wasn't like a half-assed choreographed dump truck ass dance. It was something that they've all kind of worked together. They've been going at this for months. Tony Jaa just finds out that this is happening. He's like, yeah, I want to dance too. I feel like I have to nitpick at this movie because I really like it, but I need to say something. This doesn't fucking make sense. This is not how you sneak in anywhere. All right, so let me get to the point where we talk about the best part of the movie. Okay, yeah, we. I've, I've said my piece on that. You've ruined the dancing scene for me, which is one of my favorites. The last 30 minutes of this movie is pure martial arts perfection. It's Tony Jaw going back to his home of gypsies and realizing all the gypsies are gone and there's people there to kill him. And he goes through like six different weapons en route to killing like 40 people. And it's just non-stop one after another boom 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 sword sword stick throwing knife thing sword stick okay my favorite one i don't even know what these are called it looks like nunchucks except for there's three links it's kind of kind of like uh in raiders of the lost ark when uh the guy's starting to make his hanger together and it's all intimidating and then it just turns out to be a hanger it's like that but bigger he's able to hit him with, like, the three-sided nunchuck-like thing. That's the coolest fucking thing, because I know if I had that in my hand, I'd do nothing but hit myself in the face with it. <laughs> they have some fancy Japanese name, but I think in English it just translates to, like, three-section stick or something like that. Well, that's not cool at all. I'm sure it sounds a lot cooler in Japanese or whatever the original origin of the move is. But yeah, that is awesome because he's like slinging it around and then he uses it to like block a sword and catch another one. My favorite one that he uses is he uses the scorpion like nun chuck chain knife thing. Oh, that was badass too. And he's like spinning it around his head. And then there's a part where he, there's a guy coming up behind him and he does like a matrix lean back thing. 
and lets the knife go over his head and stabs the guy in the heart. It looks amazing, and he's just so fluid, like interchanging between sword fights to finding the three-section stick to the knife thing. Like, everything is just so boom, boom, boom. It's such a smooth scene, like, the whole way through. I absolutely love, like, the unconventional weapons. Like, swords are cool and all that kind of shit, but I, th- I think I like the blunt object type weapons better like i love the spears the staffs the the nunchuck three stick thing all that kind of stuff is so much cooler to me especially like spears when they have like the long reach and they're able to like get it all bendy like when you're waving a pencil real hard (laughs) i love that kind of shit like swords are cool but there's something there's something cooler looking about like these objects that are just blunt and they take more out of you to, to take somebody off their feet with the sword fighting scenes in this are so good, though, because it's not just the sword, but then he's using the sheath as a weapon as well. So he's like using it to deflect the sword, but then he starts like swinging it around on its handkerchief and he's like catching people's arms and he's tripping people. He takes one guy's sword with the sheath and then stabs him with it. Like all his actions, it's really just like a badass ballerina. Like oh, it's yeah. just one fluid motion after another. I even wrote down that it's fucking badass when they use the sword sheath as a fucking weapon. Like, Jackie Chan's known for using his environment, and I love that kind of shit. Anything that's, like, unorthodox with the weapons is in my ballpark of things that I fucking love. And I will shout this until I'm blue in the face. It's one of my favorite, you know, 20, 30 minutes of any martial arts film ever. Even if you don't want to take the time to watch this whole franchise, which you definitely should. It's definitely great. Treat yourself to it. If you just want to YouTube a scene and figure out what we're talking about, YouTube the end of this movie because it is amazing start to finish. I don't know if it's my favorite 30 minutes. It's definitely great. I might like uh, there's there's like flashpoints last 30 minutes are fucking amazing. Those are great. It's definitely up there. It's, uh, I'll definitely put it up there as a fucking amazing last 30 minutes. I just I don't know if I can pull the trigger and say it's the greatest 30 minutes. I don't know if it's the greatest, but it's close to being my favorite. So after all that madness, the big twist of this movie, you find out that Tony Jaw's parents were killed because this new emperor guy was trying to take over. And the person who killed Tony Jaw's parents was Twisty Mustache, who ended up raising Tony Jaw as his own child. I mean, that was pretty good, honestly. Like, I didn't remember it the first time I watched it this week, because I hadn't seen it since high school, or not high school, since uh, Sports Authority days. And, like, it's a pretty good twist. And I didn't expect him to take the basket off his head, because he's basically fighting with a basket on his head, and reveal him to be Kennard, or whatever the fuck his name was. Like, there was, like, an emotional impact on that, especially when uh, he's like, if I had known that you were part of this family, I would have fucking killed you a long time ago. He said it with a little less swearing. Yeah, but he says it like he puts a big show on, like, to make it look like that's how it's supposed to be. And then he gets in close, and then when he gets in close, you think he's going to say, now it's time to die or deliver some awful dubbed one-liner. But basically he says you know, take my life for the life of your father. And you realize that this guy, for being the leader of the outlaws, you kind of have like this emotional back and forth with him, whether or not he's a good guy or a bad guy. He ends up being the Hum Lay character, this one, and kind of falling on his sword to repay the debt 
that he caused by taking Tony Jaw's dad's life. It's like a, a good emotional payout. I, I absolutely love the scene. And I absolutely did believe that uh, originally he was like, fuck you and all that kind of shit. And I'm like, oh, you know, he would have killed him. And then he gets in close and he does exactly what you said. Like, there's there's some acting there's some character development there i feel like it would have had a bigger impact if they had just done this chronologically though instead of jumping around back and forth like you you would have really felt him getting raised with a canard is what i i have written down for that guy's name you would have felt the emotional impact of it a little bit more if they just done the story linear yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm not a huge fan of flashbacks. I don't mind if they're just sprinkled in and it makes sense. But told completely out of order and then flashing back to the same scene like four different times, it's a little much and it convolutes the story a lot. If they would have just said, look, this is what happened. He ended up in slavery. His parents died. These guys freed him. Mustache and his band of gypsy warriors are teaching this guy to be the next outlaw king. And then just went with that storyline because canard is a really good actor he puts a really good performance in compared to the rest of the movie he's so much better than tony jaw that when tony jaw uh is going to request to go and kill the emperor or whatever uh they don't have tony jaw say a thing in that scene they have canard doing all the acting like oh i see you have something on your mind don't, don't tell me don't tell me you gotta keep this village don't don't speak tony jaw don't speak you can't act and i must accept it i was gonna make you the outlaw king shut the fuck up tony jaw but i'll wait until you come back like they let him do all the all the carrying of the movie because tony jaw should be kicking not speaking but in the end, just like the first movie, Tony Jaw's lack of pure acting talent is heavily outweighed by his pure talent of martial arts. There's a lot of knees, there's a lot of elbows, there's a lot of throat punches, Adam Apple grabbing, there's swords, there's bow and arrows, there's all sorts of different weapons. This movie's amazing. I I absolutely love this movie. Like honestly, I will skip over the first movie 90% of the time and go right into this one because he, he's going all Patrick Swayze with the throat, with the throats, and that's what I want to see. All right, Josh, I think people know. Is Ongbok 2, what is this one called? The Beginning? It's something awkward like that, right? Yeah, it's it's the beginning, which it doesn't relate, apparently. I thought it was going to relate in the third movie, which we'll be getting into in a couple of weeks. But yeah, it's Ongbok The Beginning. Is Ong Bak 2, The Beginning, a bloody good film? It's a bloody fucking great movie. Like, despite my nitpicking on the plot, this movie's amazing. I really don't have anything bad to say about it. Like, even though the story doesn't make sense, you're, like, into it the entire way through, despite the fact that the plot doesn't really kick in for about half of the movie. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. This movie's great. It has, like, the whole development of Tony Jaw, where you can see him go from kid to just absolute warrior with different trainings. And you kind of see him growing into this ultimate fighter. <laughs> see what I did there? Muay Thai ultimate fighter UFC. You can kind of see him. Shit. <laughs> you kind of see him grow into this total complete outlaw king. And he fights on an elephant. He fights with weapons. He fights drunk. He fights like a witch looking bird lady. <laughs> oh, we didn't even mention her. We didn't even mention she's the one that we referred to earlier when he gets kneed through the elephant's tusks. It's by this weird witch bird lady 
who I wanted to at least mention because she does play a part in the third movie that we're going to cover. I'm glad you brought it up because I felt bad when he said, like, when she first dropped, I'm like, okay, a bird fell on the elephant with him. And then you find out it's not just a bird, it's a bird lady. And I thought maybe she was just a witch because she definitely looks very witchy. But then when she jumps, there's literally bird sounds that she makes, like, as she's jumping around on the elephant. So I go, okay, is she a witch? Is she a bird? Is there, like, a deeper meaning that we don't understand? Are, are there, like, furry versions of birds? Or do they call them, like, featheries or something like that? Because that's what she is. That's what she is. She very much wants to be a bird. I think she's a witch that wants to be a bird. We just established she's a feathery. <laughs> so she's a feathery. She's great. Tony Jaw fights her. It's, like, awkwardly weird and entertaining all at the same time. I'll stress it and I'll stress it. I'll stress it. The last 30 minutes of this movie are great from the final battle scene to the emotional ending. Everything about it is a bloody good film. And then we get this like weird send off where Tony Jaw is going to be taken away to get killed is what looks like it's going to happen. The Emperor says, take him away, make it a slow death or something like that. The movie actually says that he died because of his bad karma, but his karma magic shit will help him in his future or something. It's some kind of bullshit that I don't believe in, but that's what they were going for. Well, and they like petition us as the watchers of the movie like, hey, if we use all of our good karma, we can bring him back for a third movie. I don't know if that was their way of trying to sell tickets to the third movie. And saying, hey, if you guys promise to buy these tickets, we'll make another one of these movies so you can figure it out. Because they basically say, hey, he's dead, but if you guys want, give us 20 bucks, start a GoFundMe, and we'll go ahead and make the third movie for you. We'll bring him back to life. And this is one of the only scenes that shows Ong Bok, and it's really just showing, like, will he get all of his karma fixed in order to get a story where Ong Bok will play into it because they show that stupid statue. But that's the only link. And I'm willing to overlook that. That's a little cheesy way to end a movie. I would have rather them just end it like right after Canard uh, kills himself and just kind of have it there and then leave off to be continued if you're going to make a straight sequel. Just do a to be continued. I don't care about this karma shit. To be continued. Perfect ending. Yeah. And it kind of undermines the great acting in that scene and like the emotional moment. It's kind of a letdown at the end of it all. But aside from that, aside from the unnecessary flashbacks, this is the best movie in the series, and it, this is my favorite Tony Jaw movie. It's this one, the projector. Uh, the it's this I'm one. The projector. <laughs> Tony Jaw works at a movie theater. Will he project on the screen? Only karma can tell. It's this one, and it's the protector. But this is by far my favorite. All right. So, what do we have coming up next week? All right, Josh. Next week, we have a themed episode. We did My Bloody Valentine. That was our first themed episode. People seem to like it. So now we have St. Patty's Day coming up. So for St. Patty's Day, obviously we have to do something a little Irish. We have to go down to Boston. Boston. To Boston. We're going to call Dropkick Murphys. And what we're going to do is we're going to do the Boondock Saints, Josh. I am so excited for this movie. This is one of Jesse's all-time favorite movies. I have a ginormous canvas painting of the cover of the DVD. I am so excited. The movie is great. Norman Reedus, Sean Patrick Flannery, Willem Dafoe in just peak Willem Dafoe. 
there's no other type of William Dafoe. My memories of the movie aren't great, but I don't have anything against him. William Dafoe is great in this movie. The brothers are great in this movie. We may disagree a lot on this one because I'm pretty passionate about this one for how much I love it. So I'm really excited to do it on the podcast. So join in next week with your green beer because we're doing the Boondock Saints. Time to roll the credits. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Bloody Good Film Podcast to stay up to date with everything podcast related and to let us know what you think about some of these films that we watch each and every week. As always, big thank you to Soul Grinder for our intro and outro. If you haven't yet, make sure you guys go give their pages a follow at Soul Grinder Official and at Marrowgate. For myself and Josh, this has been the Bloody Good Film Podcast. And remember, we be booty booties. All alone.